I want to welcome you once again to Providence Road. Uh, if you are a guest with us this morning, welcome. Uh, my name is Blake Hilgenfeld, one of the pastors here, and we are very grateful that you're here with us. Uh, if you are a guest, we are uh, back in our series, or we're in a series on the book of Romans. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 15. Uh, we're going to be in verses 14 through 21 this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one maybe on your seat or under your seat, the seat next to you. Uh, the verses will eventually be on the screen as well. Uh, but let's turn to Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 14. And let's read these together. God's word says this. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But at some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given uh, me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, uh, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Eliarichum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has already been named, has not already been named, lest I should build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning asking for your help. That as we come to your word this morning, Father, we ask that you would give us eyes to see. That you would help us to see this great calling and this great purpose that you have placed on our lives for those of us who trust in you, for those of us who believe upon your Son for salvation, that you have given us this great purpose and privilege of life of spreading the good news of your Son to all peoples of the earth. So, Father, we ask that you would help us to see and to make this our ambition in life. To take your name to those in this city and among the nations who have never heard. So they may see, they may understand your glory and greatness that you show and that you reveal in the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ. Empower us, Father, this morning and tomorrow into the rest of this week, and all the days of our lives, to pour our lives out as an act of worship, as an offering to you, for the sake of your name and glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have uh, been with us uh, for a while in the book of Romans, um, and if you haven't, I'm just kind of kind of lay out a little bit of where we have been over the past several uh, chapters. We're almost at the end of this, end of this book, which is absolutely pretty, pretty amazing. 
Uh, but what we have seen over the course of our time in the book of Romans, and God has graciously kind of laid this out to us in his word, is that we get the privilege of really seeing uh, the greatest problem in the world today. And the greatest problem among humanity, the greatest problem in the world today, as we have seen in the book of Romans, is that all of humanity is at odds with God. And God tells us this in Romans chapter 1, verse 23. He says that every single person, every single human being, and obviously that means uh, every single person here today, you and me, when we're born in this world, what we have done is, is we have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images created by God. So in other words, what we all have done uh, throughout our lives is we have valued and we have treasured Namely, ourselves created things more than our creator. And so as a result of this, every single person born into this world, we are born under sin and under the displeasure and wrath of God. Now, if that's true, then the greatest need of humanity is to somehow, someway come out from underneath uh, being under sin and being under the displeasure and wrath of God. But how can God, who is perfectly righteous and good and holy, how can he accept ungodly people? I mean, how can the, the good and righteous and, and, and perfect judge of the universe declare people who are guilty of rebellion against him, how can he declare them innocent and come into right relationship with him when we're not innocent? One thing is totally clear as we've gone throughout the book of Romans, that no one can be justified in God's sight. No one can be declared innocent by obeying God's law. Romans 3 says this, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, in God's sight. Why? Well, because through the, the, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And, and this is ultimately true because, think about it, no amount of good works or no amount of obedience to God's law can make up for us breaking God's law. I mean, who in their right mind would stand before an earthly judge here on earth and say, Judge, listen, I know that I'm guilty of breaking this law. I know I'm guilty of breaking this, or, uh, of, of breaking this crime or doing this crime. But look at all the good things I've done. Look at all the acts of obedience. Look, look, at, look at all the laws I have obeyed. Don't they, don't they amount to something? Don't they count for something? Absolutely not. The judge would not be just in declaring you innocent based on obeying other laws. Why? Because you are guilty of breaking the law. And all of us, every single person in this room, everyone, all of humanity born in this world, we, have, we, we are guilty of breaking God's greatest commandment and law, and that is to treasure him above everything else in our lives. And the result of this, this is not good news. In fact, this is horrible news to stand before God, the God of all creation, and hear him say to us, have you loved me or yourself more? Have you treasured me or yourself? Have you obeyed me 
Or have you just obeyed yourself? Have you given your life to, to thank me for all the things uh, in your life? Or you've just looked at yourself and thanked yourself for all the things that you have? Have you lived to obey me and to pursue me and to put me above everything else in your life? Or have you just consumed yourself with yourself? If we humble ourselves this morning and we're honest, the reality is that all of us will say, no, we have not. We've exchanged, we've exchanged the glory of God and treasuring him above all things and loving ourselves above all things. And this is the problem. This is a huge problem. Because as we have seen, the consequence of this sin, the consequence of our rebellion is death. The consequence of exchanging the glory of God for other, for other things and, and considering those more glorious and valuable than he is, is that we deserve to be separated from the presence and love of the only person who satisfies the deepest longings of our souls. Guys, imagine spending eternity in isolation given over to spend eternity in darkness and misery and pain, separated from all that is good and right and pleasing. This is what we deserve. And this is what all humanity will receive as a result of being left in their sin. But amazingly, guys, amazingly, God has a solution He has a solution to our greatest problem and our greatest need, and it is the gospel of grace in Christ Jesus. And and Paul refers to this in 16, verse 16 and 19 and 20. He refers to the gospel of God or the gospel of Christ Jesus, and that is this, that God in his great mercy and grace sent his son Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect, righteous, and innocent life that no human being ever born has ever lived. He knew no sin, and he loved. He's the only person to ever walk this earth who loved in the right order. And upon the cross, the perfect and innocent one, Jesus Christ, was found guilty for our, for our sin and for our law-breaking. And he received the punishment, which is eternal separation from God. But he conquered death by being raised from the dead. And he reigns over all things. And here is the only way. Here is the only way. That humanity can escape the wrath of God and come out from underneath his wrath and displeasure and the consequences of our sin. And that is this. That all who look to the Son, and to all who look to Christ Jesus, and only Christ Jesus, by faith and trust in him to do what he promises to do, he becomes your punishment. He becomes your righteousness. He becomes your eternal life because Christ alone is the only person who can remove the wrath of God because he absorbed it for you. Christ alone is the only way That you can receive a righteousness that's not of your own. A perfect righteousness that enables you to stand before a holy and righteous God. Christ alone is the only solution to take away our sin and give us the righteousness that we need. And we receive this simply as a gift by faith. 
Romans 3.24 tells us that we are justified, we are made right, we are declared righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, which simply means that God put Christ forward to remove or to satisfy his wrath uh, towards our sin. How? By his blood. How do we receive it? By faith. This is the only way, guys. This is the only way to escape the wrath of God and have everlasting pleasure at God's right hand. We are saved by, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ Jesus alone. Why? Why is it by faith alone and grace alone? Why do we not have to contribute anything to our salvation? For the glory of God. You see, we are helpless. We are 100% helpless. We are dead in our sin. There is nothing a dead person can do other than just simply being dead. But here comes the grace of God. He does everything for us. Why? So that he would get all the glory for our salvation. If it was Jesus plus you and me, we could boast. But it's not. It is God alone who saves. Why? So that right now. And for all of eternity, we will praise him. We will praise him for his glorious grace. Oh, praise the one who paid our debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, oh praise the, the, the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. Rejoice, child of God, for you have redemption by his grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone for the glory of God alone. This is, this is the solution. This is the gospel. Grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ Jesus alone, for the glory of God alone. This is the good news for humanity. So listen very carefully. If this is true, then doesn't the world desperately need to hear this news? And if you have received and you believe this good news of Christ, and you've received salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone, for, for God's glory, uh, glory alone, then, then shouldn't it be your greatest desire to spread this news and tell others of the gospel, of the glory of God that's found in Christ Jesus? And if this is your greatest desire, then shouldn't it be your greatest purpose or greatest ambition in life to take this message to people in Norman and even to the, unreached, uh, uh, the unreached places of the world? In our passage this morning, we get, guys, an inside look into the heart of the greatest missionary who has ever lived. We get to see a man named Paul who poured out his life to spread the glory and salvation of Christ to all peoples of the earth. And this is what we're going to see this morning. We're going to see three things. We're going to see what motivated this man named Paul. We're going to see what empowered this man named Paul. And we're going to see what Paul's greatest ambition in life is. And it's my hope and it's my prayer as we look at the heart of the greatest missionary who has ever lived that we too will see our lives as Paul saw his so that we too would be motivated and empowered to live out God's greatest purpose for our life. And that is to tell others. Our kids, our neighbors, our co-workers, the only name that saves. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. That's where we're going. 
That's where we're going this morning. We're looking at those three things. So let's look at verse 15. Paul says this. He, he really, uh, he wants us to see what his motive is, all right? So the first thing we're going to see is what Paul's motive is to spread this good news of the gospel of Christ. Verse 15. He says this, but on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now Paul does something very, very significant here. He could have said, like he did at the very beginning of uh, the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 1, that because of the grace given to, me, the, given to me, that he is a servant of Christ Jesus, but he doesn't use the word servant. He uses the word minister and priestly service. So what this means is, is that Paul sees his, his sharing of the gospel, the spreading of the gospel, as sacred. And he sees himself like a priest in the Old Testament temple, offering sacrifices to God as an act of worship. Now let's think about the Old Testament temple. Let's think about priests in the Old, uh, the Old Testament, in the Jewish temple. What did they do? Their primary role as a priest in the temple, in the Old Testament, was to offer sacrifices to God on behalf of the people, the Israelites. And there was kind of two primary sacrifices uh, that the priest would make. The first one would be a, uh, an offering to atone for the sin of God's people. So by faith, the priest would take a, uh, an innocent, uh, perfect animal without any spot, without any blemish. And by faith, uh, they would place the, the sin of God's people upon the animal and the animal's blood would be shed as a substitute in place for the sin of God's people. So without the shedding of blood, there is no atonement, there is no forgiveness of sin. So they would take these animals and they would sacrifice it in place to pay for the sin of the people. And so the second offering would be this. It'd be an offering of thanksgiving. The priest would offer offerings of thanksgiving to give thanks to all that God is and all that he has done for them. But listen... As a result now of, uh, of the work of Christ, we uh, no longer need the temple and offerings made to God. Now, why? Because Jesus is the ultimate. He is the great high priest who came and made the final and complete offering for our sin. So Jesus, the innocent one, the righteous one, took our sin upon himself, and his blood was shed in our place, as our substitute, so that we would never have to, to pay for those sins, but he atoned them perfectly. But what makes this so significant, this terminology, this usage of Paul, is that he sees himself. He sees himself in the, in the works of, of sharing the gospel as, as really this offering to God as an act of worship. So he sees mission, he sees evangelism, he sees spreading the gospel as an act of worship to give thanks and praise to God. And he sees himself in the temple as uh, dressed in all the priestly garb. And he's lifting up the souls of men. He's lifting up the souls of the Gentiles, which produces this sweet-smelling fragrance and offering at the throne of Christ. So in other words, Paul's motive for mission is worship. Guys, if only we saw ourselves as Paul saw himself, it would radically change the way that we see our lives and how we live. That our obedience 
We're sharing the gospel as a pleasing offering to our King and to our Heavenly Father as an act of worship. Last Sunday, I went into uh, the home of one of my neighbors. It was the first time that I had been into her home since she passed away. Millie, uh, who was a widow of several years, passed away a few weeks ago, and her family was having an estate sale. And so we went over there, and as I was kind of walking through a house, looking at all of her stuff, I was reminded of how foolish it is to spend our lives accumulating all of this stuff that at the end of our lives would be sold in an estate sale to total strangers. Now, as I was walking home, Shanae bought a picture which says, Millie's Mixes. And I was reminded of Millie's life. You see, Millie loved Jesus. And that picture was used to, to offer hundreds of offerings to the God who loved her. Pies, cookies, cakes, given to neighbors and friends in acts of worship and love to her precious King and Savior who she loved so much. Listen, she could not take that picture with her. But what she did take was this, hundreds of acts of love and worship to her King and Savior that she presented to him as an offering of worship, as an offering of a sweet-smelling aroma. Her life, guys, here on earth was poured out as an act of worship, as a pleasing offering to serve her neighbors and friends in the name of Christ to, 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 for the glory of her Savior and a great high priest who came to atone for all of her sin. And she longed for other people to know her great high priest and to come to know him as Savior and King. And she poured her life as an act of worship. It's beautiful. Do you see yourself and your life as Paul saw his? Do you see the significance of serving those around you for the sake of Christ and his glory as a sacred work of act of worship, as a pleasing offering? Guys, let us see that a pie baked in the name of Christ for a friend or neighbor or loved one is a pleasing offering to God. A child held and loved in the name of Christ is an act of worship. Guys, when the gospel is shared, when you share the gospel, it is a beautiful song in the courts of heaven. When we teach a Christ-centered lesson to our kids in the kids' ministry, guys, it is a, a beautiful, smelling fragrance to our king. Listen, at the end of our lives, and when we see a great high priest face to face, will you see people that you have served in this life to bring them into eternity through the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are your pleasing offering to the Lord. This we can take with us. So let this truth today cause us to pour our lives out today and tomorrow as an act of worship to worship our King and Savior who came and sacrificed himself so we can sacrifice our own lives to bring others into his kingdom. For this is how Paul saw his life, and may we see our lives as this is too, that it may be our motivating factor that worship is the fuel, and ultimately it's the goal of missions, as John Piper said. It's the motivating factor. It is the fuel and goal for worship, for mission. That's the first thing we see. The second is this. 
we see what Paul's power is. So we see what motivated him was worship, and we see the power that enabled him to pour his life out as an act of worship. Look at 17. He says this, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except that Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed and by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so through Jerusalem and all the way around Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Guys, this is absolutely amazing. Because let us not forget who this man was, this man named Paul. Here you have a man who has a very scandalous past, right? Like he, he doesn't have just a couple of speeding t- tickets on his record. This man named Paul has the blood of an innocent Christian man named Stephen. In the book of Acts, we see uh, that uh, Paul, or Saul at that point, uh, gave the, the right or gave the thumbs up to stone uh, Stephen, who was a follower of Jesus, to death. Now, not only does he have the blood of the innocent man, Christian man, on his hands, this dude was also a terrorist. We also see in the book of Acts that he uh, went into the homes of, of uh, followers of Jesus and he, he arrested men and women uh, who followed Jesus and he threw them into prison. But on his way to Damascus, uh, Jesus met Paul and he uh, radically saved Paul by his grace. Uh, Christ er- erased all of Paul's record and he, he washed it clean by his blood and by his grace. Uh, he made Paul into the greatest missionary of the history of the church. But Paul is very quick here to give glory where glory is due. Everything, guys, that he accomplished, every person who came to faith in Jesus as a result of his preaching and travels, every person he taught to to follow and obey Jesus and all the miraculous signs and wonders that he performed was accomplished uh, by the grace of Christ through the power of Christ living and dwelling within him. By grace, Christ saved Paul, and by the same grace, Christ empowered him through his spirit to be a minister for Christ Jesus. And Paul boasted, not in himself, not in his own abilities, not in his own accomplishments, but he boasted in Christ and Christ alone. Listen, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you first believe the gospel of Christ. Then you have the same power too. You have the same spirit. You have the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells within you. Why? To empower you to fulfill the ministry that God has given to you. Listen, let's be honest with ourselves. Do we have people in our lives that we long for, that we've been praying for years and years and years? Do we have people in our lives that we, that we long for them to hear and believe the gospel of Christ? Do you? Then listen to this. As one author says, how will they believe? It is Christ who takes our feeble efforts and words and confirms them with or by his divine power in the minds and hearts and wills of the hearers. Every conversion is a power encounter, guys, in which the Spirit of Christ, through the gospel, rescues and regenerates sinners. That's my hope. 
That is my confidence as I stand before you this morning. My hope is not in my ability to proclaim to you the truths of God's word this morning. My confidence is not in my power to persuade you to believe and give your life to follow Jesus as an act of worship. My hope is in the unseen spirit of God working through me to accomplish breaking into your hearts and rescuing those who need to be rescued this morning. My confidence is in the power of the living Christ who conquered death and poured his spirit out upon his people to come into the hearts of dead people, spiritually dead people, and regenerate them and give you life. My confidence is in the power of the spirit of Christ to conform us into the image of Jesus and make us into his image and followers of Jesus. Listen, there is a good chance this morning that there are some of you here this morning who need to be rescued and brought into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I convict you of sin? Can I take the blindfold from your eyes for you to see your need of Jesus as the only hope of your salvation? Can I produce faith in you which connects you to the work and person of Jesus that will secure your eternal destiny? No. I don't have this power. I cannot accomplish this. But Christ, through me, the unseen spirit of God works through me to proclaim the gospel to you and he works to come into your heart and convict you of your sin and give you eyes to see and bring you to Jesus by faith. Listen, if you believe in Christ this morning, it is because of the unworked spirit of God working through the gospel and by the spirit to bring you to Jesus. He did that. He did that. This is my hope. And this is your hope too. This is your confidence too, guys. As you go into your workplaces, as you go into your neighborhoods, as you go to family and friends, at the same power that Paul had to accomplish the work of the ministry, you have too. It's not like you're on the JV team. And Paul is on the varsity team. If the grace of God can make a murdering terrorist into the greatest missionary who ever lived, he can make you into a great missionary too. Why? Because the power and the ability to be used by God isn't determined by your past or your weaknesses or even what even strengths you may try to boast in. The power comes from Christ and Christ alone. Do you see yourself as weak this morning? Do you think to yourself, you know what, I'm not strong enough, I'm not bold enough, to tell others the gospel of Christ, good, because you are weak. But Christ is not. And if you receive the gospel of Christ by faith, you have the same spirit, guys. Listen very carefully. You have the same spirit that enabled Jesus to fulfill his ministry. You have the same spirit that enabled Paul to fulfill his ministry. You have the one whose power spoke everything into existence. You have the one whose power parted the Red Sea. You have the one whose power calmed the raging sea with one voice, with one word. You have the one whose power 
raise dead people to life, living and dwelling within you, so that you may not boast in your own abilities and you may not use any excuses of your past or your present weaknesses to be used by the glory of God because you have the power to fulfill the ministry. Why? Because you have the Spirit of Christ. This is your hope. This is our hope, guys. This is our confidence. As we go into this world and we seek to obey Jesus and telling others of the only hope of salvation that's found in him, we boast and we have confidence not in ourselves, but in Christ and Christ alone. Which leads us to the last thing. Verse 20. The last thing we see is Paul's ambition, his passion, his purpose. Look at verse 20. He says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul's greatest ambition is clear, right? He tells us his greatest ambition is life, and greatest desire and passion is to preach the gospel where, where the gospel had never been preached. So God has called Paul to be a pioneering missionary. Now, what is that? A pioneer missionary is, is one who takes the gospel to unreached places where, where the name of Christ has never been taken. And there's, there, there, there are numerous places today where that's the reality, that's the truth. And we know from, as we have read in the New Testament, we, we know that Paul suffered great for this ambition. It, it, it was, he suffered much, and it wasn't like this ambition was very comfortable. Unlike many of us who choose ambitions in life to make us uh, the most comfortable and have the best life now, Paul's ambition threw him into prison. Paul's ambition threw, uh, uh, caused him to have shipwrecks, many beatings, but nothing, guys, stopped his ambition to take the gospel where it had never been preached. Even death, even the threat of death did not kill his desire which is absolutely amazing. Why? Why did nothing kill his desire and his ambition to preach the gospel? Because Jesus ultimately was his greatest treasure. As he tells us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, he says this. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as is in my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with a full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm able to live in the flesh, and that means more fruitful labor for me, yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. Why? Because my desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. You see, nothing stopped Paul's ambition. Not even death. Why? Because death ultimately was the entrance or the door to gain his greatest treasure, which is Christ himself. And because Jesus was his greatest treasure, it was his ambition, it was his all-consuming passion to tell others who have not heard of the God that he so desperately loved. So what's your ambition in life? What is your greatest desire in life? When you get up out of bed in the morning, what is your greatest uh, purpose to do and achieve in the day uh, that the Lord has given you? On Monday, uh, my wife and I woke up to two sick kids. 
And uh, I asked her, I said, honey, uh, how can I help you? And she said, well, there's nothing that you can really do. Uh, we called the doctor, and we couldn't get the kids in until like 1.30, which is awesome. And so she just had to wait around and just kind of care for two sick kids. And, and, uh, but my passion or my ambition and purpose was clear for that day. Uh, I, I went uh, to work on this sermon uh, to serve Christ and to serve you by immersing myself in his word. But what about my, life, my, my wife? Was her day just lost? I mean, when she uh, woke up in that morning, uh, which was uh, debatable because I don't even think that she even went to bed that night because she took care of our two sick kids. But when the day was at hand, it wasn't like it was her greatest desire to take care of two sick kids. Like it wasn't she like woke up in, in the morning and just said, Lord, thank you. Let today I get to take care of two sick kids. I mean, this is my greatest ambition and purpose in life. But was, like, was her day lost? Because she couldn't get out of the house and meet with uh, people that she had scheduled to meet with that day in hopes of encouraging them with the truth of the gospel? I mean, is she less of a follower of Jesus because she never really got out of the house that day? No. Because you see, it is her greatest ambition to show and tell our kids the name of Christ. It is her greatest desire that our kids come to know what her greatest desire is and her greatest treasure is, and that is Jesus Christ. So guys, listen, in the midst of a normal everyday life that many of us face, in the midst of a day that seemed to be so lost, a day where, where things didn't really go according to plan and, and what she wanted to do, a day, a day of taking care of two sick kids and kind of like the most mundane things of life actually now became an opportunity for her to live out her ambition by loving our kids as Christ has loved her, by serving our kids as her precious Savior has served her. What seemed to be lost in a frustrating day became an opportunity still in the midst of the everyday mundane things of life, to be able to live out the gospel, to live out her ambition of preaching the gospel to our kids by word and deed. Guys, listen very carefully. I think that this is the lie that many of us believe. That to truly be used by God, we have to be like Paul and go to these unreached places of the world and preach the gospel where the gospel has never been preached. But listen, God does not call every single one of us to be pioneering missionaries. He calls many of us to live out this ambition of preaching the gospel and the everyday stuff of life, like caring for two sick kids. And living, like working at jobs you may not really like. Or, or taking classes when you'd rather be somewhere else. But listen very carefully. Don't, do, do not get me wrong. I hope, guys, and I pray that he will call many of us to go to places where the name of Christ has never been heard. Places like Tunisia, where one of our brothers, one of our church members is today. I'm going to change his name and just call him Steve for security reasons. Steve wakes up every morning with his ambition to tell young Tunisians about the only name that saves, the name of Jesus Christ. Guys, he is in a city where 99.2% of the population do not have the eternal hope that is found in the gospel of Christ. And who's going to tell them of this message? And how will Christ be seen as great and be worshipped more among the Tunisians that he created for his glory? 
is through people like Steve who go. For how will they hear unless someone goes and tells them? I hope many of you, especially college students, would, would pray about and consider like making this your ambition, like you would, you would take this summer off, that you, would, that you would graduate in December or you graduate in May, and that you would go to the toughest places in the world today who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Christ is worth it. And those who have never been told will hear, and they will see, and they will believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that he is king. And that he is the only name that saves. This is what my wife did. This is what Jeremy and I did. We took a year off after graduation. My wife took two years off. And we went and we preached the name of Jesus, the gospel. And we took it to a place where the gospel is not heard. We went to China. And as a result, John and Susan and Mr. Wong and Priscilla and Shao heard and believed the gospel. And one day, we will be reunited in his presence, and together we will celebrate his great grace and mercy that he's poured out upon us through his son, Jesus Christ. Guys, I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray that he will call many of us to go to places where the gospel has never been preached, that he would give us this burning passion and this burning desire, that he would be worshipped more among all peoples of the earth. Lord, here we are. Right? That should be our prayer. That should be our, the cry of our heart. Here we are, Lord. Send us wherever you want us to go. We will go wherever you want us to go because your name is not heard and it needs to be proclaimed and you need to be worshipped more among all the nations. Give us this desire, Lord. Cause us to well up inside of us that this may be our motivating factor and ambition in life for him to be worshipped among the nations. But listen, he's going to call some of us to stay here. He's going to call most of us probably to stay here. I do hope that it calls most of us to go. It calls us right here in the gospel, to preach the gospel in Norman, Oklahoma. Because listen very carefully. Your family, your kids, your co-workers, they need to hear the name too. They need to hear about the only name that saves. They need to hear the name that is above every name, the precious and mighty name of Jesus Christ the Lord. So listen very carefully. We've got to see the significance of this. And we have, to, we have to allow this to begin to shape our lives and the way in which we see everything in our life. Because now the greatest purpose in your life isn't a good job. I mean, your, your greatest ambition in life isn't to pursue lots and lots of, of money. There is something worthy, guys, to get out of bed in the morning in the midst of taking care of two sick kids. And working a job that you don't like. And during a job that you may not like. And taking classes when you feel like they're a waste of time. In the midst of all this, guys, you are surrounded by people. Think about that. You're surrounded by people who are sick. People who are hurting. People who are lost. People who need hope. People who are currently under sin and death and the wrath of God. People who desperately need to hear the gospel of Christ. So the question is, is Jesus your greatest treasure? 
have you received the riches of knowing him that no job, that no career, that no education, that no other ambition in life can give you? That God has given you the greatest ambition in this life. And what has he given you? What has he given me? He's given us, guys, the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You, not just me, not just a preacher of the gospel. We are all sent ones with the ministry of the gospel of Christ because you have received it and you received it to give it away. Right here, right now. Therefore, make it your greatest desire in life. See your education. See your career. See your parenting not as the greatest ambition in life, not as a means to satisfy your desire for significance, not as a means to bring you the best and most comfortable life now, but see your education and your career and your parenting, see all of life as an opportunity to live out the ministry that God has given you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because wherever God has you, he means to use you. He means to use you through his power, as an act of worship to bring others to himself. He means your career and education is to make money, to give it away, to send people like Hunter to places where the gospel had not been preached. He means to use the parents to point your kids to love the glory of God by the way in which you love and serve them in word and deed, and you live out the gospel, and you tell of the God's glory that's found in the gospel. That's, that's, the, that's the, the ultimate ambition for parenting, is to point your kids to Jesus and love his glory. He means to use your job as an opportunity to tell those who have never been told the name of Jesus so that they can come to believe and know the only name that saves. So guys, I'm going to end with this. Work hard. Work hard being the best parent you can be. Work hard at being the best employee and boss you can be and student you can be, but work harder to pour your life out, to share the hope and the treasure you found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let this be your motivation. Let this be your ambition. Because, guys, we have the greatest privilege in life. Listen very carefully. I'm going to close with this. We, God has given us the greatest privilege. And that is to join him in changing people's eternal destinies. You get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of changing people's eternal destinies and presenting them as a sweet offering to our king. Is there any ambition or purpose in life that is greater than this? Let's pray. Father, we are humbled this morning. At least I hope that we're humbled this morning with this reality and this truth that is simply by your grace through faith in your Son that we are saved. And you've done this for us. Such a glory would be seen and treasured. And that we would find our greatest pleasure and satisfaction in knowing you 
and your glory and all that you are and all that you have done for us. And Father, it's this news that you have accomplished for us. That as a result of receiving the work of your Son, which brings us to salvation, the Father, now you have given us the greatest ambition and purpose in life, and that is to take this news to those who so desperately need to hear and see, so they may understand that you are the King and that you are the Savior of humanity and this world. So, Father, we ask that by your grace, through your spirit, the spirit of Christ living and dwelling within us, that you would empower us, Father, to be bold in taking this news into this world. And that, Father, that you, by your grace, would call many of us to take this news to the uttermost parts of the world, the, the, the places in the world today, Father, where your name has not been heard. And, Father, we pray even now for our brother, Steve, that you would encourage them and that you'd use him in great ways, Father, to accomplish your purposes of bringing young Tunisians and Tunisians into your kingdom, that they would be a sweet-smelling offering to you, Jesus. That Steve's life would be a pleasing offering to you as a result of making his ambition to preach the gospel to those who so desperately need to hear. And may we too, may our lives become this pleasing offering to you, we give you our lives, Lord. Here we are. Accomplish whatever you want to accomplish through us, by your power, through your spirit in this city, so that this city would see your greatness. They would come to understand your glory and then find their greatest treasure in you and not themselves. We thank you, Father for your grace and mercy which has met us and which has saved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Before Jesus went to the cross, he was gathering with his closest disciples and his closest friends, his followers. And he takes a, a loaf of bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body which is going to be broken for you. Then he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood which is going to be shed to purchase salvation. Jesus is the great high priest. And Jesus lived the life that none of us have lived. He loved in the right order. He treasured his father above all things. And loved his neighbor more than he loved himself. Those are the two greatest commandments that God places upon our lives. And the reality, the truth is that every single one of us has failed to love God above all things and to love our neighbor more than we love ourselves. We have chosen to go down this path of lifting ourselves up and loving ourselves and pleasing ourselves and doing whatever we want to do and we've totally ignored the one who made us and created us. To know his glory, to love his glory, and to center our lives around him. And the reality and truth is this, is that we all deserve to be separated from him. But I want you to see the bread. 
I want you to see the juice. And I want you to see Jesus. The one who came and his body was broken. And his blood was shed. To take away our sin. To live the life that we should have lived. Jesus Christ is the only one who can present us to the Father as beautiful, as righteous, as clean. And if you are in Christ this morning, He presents you before the Father in His beauty, in His perfection, in His righteousness. And the Father accepts you because He accepts you in His Son. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to spend a few moments and I just want you to reflect on, the, uh, on his body, the bread, and the juice. I want you to think about this wonderful news that by God's grace, he has accomplished your salvation through the personal work of Jesus. I want you to spend some time worshiping him. I want you to spend some time thanking him and praising him for saving you, that your eternal destiny is secure because of the personal work of Jesus, period, in the story. And by faith, you're connected to that. And as you, think, as you thank him for that, I want you to think about people in your life that need to hear this news and pray for them. Spend some time praying on their behalf that they too would come to hear and see and understand that Jesus is the Savior they so desperately need. So spend some time doing that. And listen, if you're here this morning and you're not in Christ, you're not trusting in him as your only hope of salvation. You're not trusting in him to be your perfection and righteousness and the one who takes away your sin. I invite you right now, this morning, to come to Jesus. Come to the one who saves. Come to the only one who saves. And bow your knee before Jesus the King. Because this person named Jesus is the only one who conquered death. And he reigns right now at the Father's right hand. And one day you will bow your knee. And you will confess that this person named Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Do it now. Because if you wait and you go be with him or he returns and you've not submitted your life to him, it's too late. It's too late. Is he calling you to himself? Is he drawing you to himself? Do you see your sin? If you see your sin, that's a work of the Spirit. You see Jesus as your Savior. That's the work of the Spirit. Come to him and confess your need for him. Call upon his name. And the promise is you call upon his name, everyone who calls upon his name will be saved. That's the promise he makes to every single one of us. Come to him. For he is the good and mighty and precious Savior and King. But if that's not you, stay where you're at. Reflect on that. But when you're ready for those who have called upon his name and trust him, come and celebrate the Savior and King. There's two stations up front, one in the back. When you're ready, 